Hewler and Motes are on the air. This is the Steelers Blitz on your 24-7 home of the black and gold. SNR, Steelers Nation Radio. Good afternoon, Steelers Nation. 12 o'clock on a Wednesday. That can only mean one thing. It's time to go inside the electric factory with Euler and Motes. And Motesy, the first time we've had a chance to get on the blitz here and talk since the Steelers had a victory Monday night at Heinz Field against those Miami Dolphins. Absolutely. Anytime we're able to talk out there, when you already know, puts a smile on my face. The drive-in, everything is perfect. When you went in, I always tell people you got the 24-hour rule. Everybody knows that, right? Mm -hmm. But that only applies when it's a loss. When it's a win, it could be 36, (laughs) 48. Just depends. 72 sometimes. When we do what we do, right? You know, uh, for the players, they need to be turning the page and looking to Indy. But we still got time to look back. No question. We will on the program today. Second straight win for the Steelers. The first time since... Stacking them. Yeah, first time since midway through last season when they went on that six-game win streak that they've won two games in a row. I think that's important to feel good about yourself now, right? For a Because even if you consider the bye week in there as well, too, feeling good about yourself before you head into a, a really important two-game homestand here. Oh, without a doubt, man. Anytime you're able to just put together positive performances in multiple weeks, that's the part that gets you. This team hasn't had that opportunity up until now. Granted, they won the the Chargers game, but then they're on a bye week, so they still didn't get to have that same feeling of, hey, we put together two solid performances, two victorious performances. So for them being able to do that and, and having that feeling from a confidence standpoint, it helps them out a ton because now you're coming into the work week with that same feeling of, oh, yeah, I like this. I know what this feels like now. I'm getting used to my routine after a win okay, this is good versus the, oh, we lost. Now we know meetings are going to be crazy because we're trying to nitpick and figure out every little thing that went wrong. Whereas in a victory, when you're coaching and critiquing from a stance of positivity, from a stance of having a victory, mentally you are way more receptive to that. No, that makes a lot of sense. And I think just that's kind of in general overall how it is down on the facility, right? You know how that is. After a win – Man, the security guards got a big smile on their face. They're high-fiving and dapping you up. The cafeteria, the food ta- – I mean, the food's always fantastic Come on, man. down there. But the food tastes better. All the chefs are in a better mood. Administrators, everybody just in a better mood after a loss. And you're right. Uh, no performance is ever perfect. But it's much easier to, hey, we did this and this this well. We still need to work on this after a win as opposed to a loss. No question. You always want to coach it up and critique it after a victory, though, man. Regardless of how bad or how good it looked, always after a victory is going to be better. And in this particular situation, man, you think about the performances that we saw. Mm -hmm. It wasn't as if this team played bad. Granted, they had a rocky start to start it out, but ultimately the way the second half played out and the way the game ended, they have to be riding high and feeling awesome. Yeah, it's not very often that you can fall behind by 14 points and then still recover to win comfortably by 13 points. Just didn't cover the spread. <laughs> Just didn't. Shout out to Vegas. Arthur Motes, he is fully, he is fully transitioned to the other side of his post-football career oh. when he's talking about spreads and not covering. And I love it. Hey, man, you, you, you introduced me to something that has changed my <laughs> life. I don't know if it's good or bad yet. 
I've been hot, but they didn't cover the spread. A tale of two halves from Mason Rudolph. Uh, I think it was fair to expect, you know, some some struggles, some taking some time for him to get his feet back underneath him. If you want to call it rust, whatever. But 22 days since his last start. Correct. And and that obviously the head trauma, the injury that he received after that hit from Earl Thomas there as well too. I think it was fair for him to to expect him to start a little slow, a little rocky, if you will. You put more stock into the first half and some of the struggles or the fact that he was able to bounce back, put that behind him with the touchdown pass to Deontay Johnson at the end of the first half and then look like a completely different quarterback in the second half. I feel like I fall somewhere in the middle, and here's why. We talk about Mason, and I hear you saying uh, the things about him coming back from the concussion. Over 20 days off, over – I mean, you think about – the injuries and things like that, him being rusty. But when have we seen him come out in the first half and really play well? He hasn't done that in any of his starts. And those are the things that concern me still, and that's why I really wouldn't – I didn't want to classify it as rust just because we don't know if he's a fast starter or not. We just personally have not seen it from him regardless if he's been healthy or not. But the thing that I did like is he did make the throws that he was supposed to make. And a lot played into, obviously, the Dolphins being down uh, Xavier and Howard in the second half, highest-paid corner of the NFL. I think he just got put on IR as well after that game. Yesterday, I believe. Yeah, so seeing that, I think, had a direct impact in terms of his his productivity, his performance. And then when I'm just looking at some of the pass that he was making, I still, like, I looked at it, it was more so an awesome job by the receivers versus – him just being a surgeon out there. And that's why I'm saying I'm, I'm falling somewhere in the middle in terms of which one I want to put more stock in, in terms of his slow start in the first half or him lighting it up in the second half. And that's a good point by you, what we've seen from him in the first half of, to be fair to him, a small sample size True. that we've seen Mason in regular season games to this point. With that in mind, though, right, staying with that, on a short week this week, what are they – preaching to Mason what are they working on to help him come out of the gate with more success well the same way that coach Tomlin has hyped up any of his starting quarterbacks this year outside of Ben when it was Mason the first time oh he has the first round grade we believe in him when it was going to be Duck Hodges they were talking about how much they believed in him and how he has this moxie and all this other things so now that is back to Mason and he's coming off of a win their whole mindset is hey man you got to put together another strong performance like that. You got to show these people that that wasn't a fluke. You are hot. You you saw how you finished the game. It's not about how you start. It's about how you finish. They're not going to talk to him about, oh, man, look at the competition you were against. That's our job for them. They're saying, right. they're saying, hey, man, it doesn't matter who you're out there. Nameless, gray faces. Make it all look the same. And that's what they're saying to him, ultimately keeping his confidence high. And hopefully that'll carry over into a strong performance out the gate versus the Colts. And they're going to need that, right? Uh, you're absolutely correct when you say it's our job to talk about the level of competition and those things and Mm -hmm. you know there's no nameless gray faces here inside the Steelers Blitz Studios against the Colts a team that's won five out of six against a team that has an extra day to rest and recover and prepare for you and now I think even in the face of some questions at the running back position right the health around James Conner and Benny Snell it's going to be imperative that the Steelers, and I'm not saying Mason has to come out on Sunday against the Colts at 1 o'clock at Heinz Field and light the world on fire, Correct. but they aren't going to be able to fall into a 14-point deficit 
and completely jump back in. No, I agree 100%. And when you think about this Colts defense, they've played in a numerous amount of tight games, close games, and they are very comfortable in that setting, which is the thing that makes me feel even more so that the Steelers can't afford to get into a slow start because on the flip side, the Steelers haven't been comfortable or finding ways to win these close games. And if you're not comfortable in those type of situations, you should probably avoid them. And I think that situation here with this Steelers team, if they can protect the ball, they can be as good as they want to be. Mm-hmm. Turnovers have been the backbreaker of the Achilles heel for this team pretty much all season. And even at points last season as well, too. Absolutely. So when you're factoring in all those things, that's the part that they have to make sure they account for. They have to account for protecting the ball. And when you look at this Colts defense, they don't have a ton of turnovers. They only, I think they have four interceptions right now in terms of mm-hmm. the things that could really break this team. And that's something that bodes well for Mason. That's something that bodes well for these receivers, especially when you're looking on the back end and you're saying, okay, what's the health status of Malik Hooker? He's dealing with, he's been dealing with the knee injury the past couple of weeks. Mm-hmm. Now, granted, Darius Leonard is back. And when you look at the stats from the teams that they've played, they've had some games where they've given up a ton of passing yards. But the one thing they've consistently done well is stop the run. Mm-hmm. And these are some even of the – Even without Darius. Right, even without them. So that's where if you're Mason – it's important that you get off to a fast start. It's important that you don't turn that ball over because you can't fall behind, not versus this type of team. Yeah, and particularly not by 14 points. Not at all. Like we saw against the Dolphins. Yeah, it's, it's a different beast in the Colts. I wonder, one of the things we had talked about last week, right, and leading up to this Dolphins game was how we thought it was an appropriate time to let Mason take some risks, right? Because, again, this was a team that you saw it, could fall behind by 14 to and still come back and still come back and win comfortably by two scores as well by 13 points as well we saw the good and the bad of that right of Correct. them letting mason throw there were some interceptions in there early on but we also saw the good like i think of the 26 yard touchdown pass to juju he put that ball in a spot where juju could go up and make a combat catch the uh offensive pass interference ball right that yes. came that was that was uh overturned on the the completion to Deontay Johnson in the 36 yard game another one where Mason downfield right put his guy in position to make a play when you're towing that line though right against the Colts now are you more inclined to dial it back a little bit or are you more inclined to give him more freedom more opportunity I am more inclined to dial it back and here's why when we talk about those two plays in particular the Deontay Johnson completion they got overturned for OPI if Deontay isn't holding Xavier Howard's arm that's an interception let's be real about it he was in perfect position he had Deontay boxed out on the sideline to go up there and make the interception the juju pass at times, I felt that when you really look at it, the defender still did have a chance. I would like to see more air under it. But at the end of the day, the plays were completed. So if you're Randy Feekner, you're definitely cognizant of that, and you are cautious in terms of that. But when you look at the best way to attack this Colts defense, it's through the air. Right. And I think with that being the understanding, you definitely are going to still have to take those training wheels off them, take the safety net off, and – it's to that point in the season where you can't keep babying him in terms of we're just going to give him the short, sure. comfortable pass because teams are teams are starting to heat up now. Teams are starting to get their identities, and also they're starting to get more tape on this Steelers offense and what they do well and don't do well. So you're not going to be able to just say, oh, 
well, we did this versus the Chargers and Colts in terms of just, you know, the little dink and dunks and running the ball, and then we take an occasional shot. That's not going to work going forward. You're going to have to find ways to stress out some of these defenses, in particular this Colts defense. And even more so when you're thinking about the situation at running back with the injuries and the uncertainty of how available is James Conner? Is Benny Snell available? What's the real health status of Jalen Samuels? All of these questions make me say that even though you have caution about Mason stretching the field, you still have to proceed with letting him do it. Okay, I'm going to address that here in a second. But Jacob, our producer, we got to do a little switching on the fly because I've gotten now four tweets here about how this microphone sounds like crap. How it Moat does. Good, oh, my gosh. I didn't want to say anything, man. I was letting you roll with it until we got out the break. I don't know. I'm not hearing it in my in my. Yo, ears, it's, it's bad. All right, so here's what we're going to do. Jacob, I'm going to switch to this microphone, all right? So let's <laughs> do this on the fly here. Turn off three. All right, are we back? We're back on microphone two here. All good? Everybody got me? Um, me? Are we in program and I'm not hearing you right now. Microphone two? Yeah? You're a little low. I don't hear you, bro. Hello, hello. Am I, are my levels coming through on the computer over there, Jacob? All right. All well, right. I think, now I think I'm hearing you. Now I'm hearing you. Got you. Me? Yeah. All right. Is that any better? That's a lot better. Okay. All right. So yeah, thanks. that last mic sound like. Oh, felt like a do. cactus you rubbed my say, ears. You didn't say anything. To, no, I just thought it might be like the headphones. I was the, trying to be yeah, a professional. Nah. Professional says you have to just continue on hey. until you get to the commercial. <laughs> <laughs> but the power grid, Mark, David. Yeah, it was rough, bro. They, I mean, we got we got four people here tweeting me about the yeah. microphone. All right, all right. I think we're good. I hope we're better. Everybody tweet me, all right? Again, we can tweet the show at Wesley or at the Body 52 The Body. So let me know if this new microphone sounds better. But, yes, getting back to what you were saying, it's – it's we've had a lot of conversation about this, right? How you've got to be an ever evolving offense. I mean, ever evolving team in general, right? It's got what, what you use to win in week one isn't Mm -hmm. going to be the same thing that you can use to win in week 11. Absolutely. And I think we've also talked about, I know you and I did last week, how, okay, certain offenses might get you by against teams like the dolphins and the Bengals and the chargers. But when you're going up against teams like the Colts and the Rams and when you're going to have to play the Ravens again, right? And you're going to have to play the Buffalo Bills in that stout defense. Mm-hmm. It's 2019 in the National Football League. Your quarterback has to be able to make some plays. Without a doubt. And we're seeing teams like the Bears who got away with it some last year, but that's not working this year. You can't just rely solely on your defense. You have to have at least a competent offense and a competent quarterback. And Mason does have that potential. The thing right now that we're all continuing to deal with is the fact that we don't know how good he can be. We're all speculating. We're all projecting. We all have our opinions on it. But until he goes out and gets a larger body of work, we're not going to know. So right now we're all learning as we go week to week. We've seen him look really good. We've seen him have some times where you're like, man, he doesn't look so good. And that's to be expected with a a first-time quarterback. And he's young. Like you said, it's not like he's been in this league for multiple years and been playing you know, and starting for multiple years, this is all new to him. He's learning himself on the fly. I love his confidence, though. I do like the fact that he was able to bounce back in that second half after having a very underwhelming first half. Sure. And that's obviously minus the Deontay Johnson pass play. But even with that, I thought that that was great for his confidence. But in terms of what he did on that play, was it anything special? I don't think it was. I think it was more so just malpractice by the Dolphins in that call. Obviously, Deontay turns on the burners, mm-hmm. but in terms of the ball traveling, and great I think it, blocking downfield by James. Oh, Washington. shout out to the pancake man! But I think literally the ball went what five, six yards tops. Yeah, six, yeah. Or, six or seven maybe tops. And then yeah. after that, like Deontay did the rest. So 
with that being said, like I said, he still stepped up in the second half. He still came out and made the throws that we needed to see him make. But now it's time to see him do it versus a more formidable opponent. And he's going to learn about himself. Randy Featon is going to learn about him, and we're going to learn about him. And it might be frustrating because we know the Steelers don't have much margin for error the rest of the season. But you're right. That's that's how it's going to be. That's how you should expect it to be. I will say this, man. Worst case scenario, just have number 72 reporters eligible <laughs> and throw him the ball. And everyone will go nuts. That's all you need. <laughs> On Twitter, at Wesley Euler, at the body 52 The body. All right. Well, we've got conflicting reports here. Darth Sisko and Tanner say it's, it's better than before. David says it's no better. So I don't know what's going on here. All right, we're going to go to break. We're going to see if we can figure out this microphone yeah, situation. Man. It sounds better in your ears? It does. Okay, well, we'll that see. That last one, yeah, it just sounds like, ah. We'll see what's going on here. We're, we're, we'll work our way out of the sinkhole, and when we come back. I don't know what was worse, the microphone or your laugh. Oh, would you? No, nah, I'm messing with you. Would you, <laughs> would you take it easy? We will uh, we'll talk about the performance uh, of Juju Smith-Schuster and Deontay Johnson, and what is the ceiling now going forward? For that trio of Mason Rudolph, Juju Smith-Schuster, and Deontay Johnson. You already know the drill. Inside the Electric Factory, you can tweet the show at Wesley Euler, at the Body 52 I just dropped the Dabody52, bro. Come on, man. You got to keep up with the times. I'm still, I'm, I'm still, I'm still rattled by this microphone Clearly. <laughs> we'll talk a little wide receivers and how that relates to Mason when we return. Inside the Electric Factory, it's Steelers Blitz on SNR. This is the Steelers Blitz with Wesley Euler and Arthur Motes on your 24-7 home of the black and gold, SNR. Well, I've never been as self-conscious in my life as I am right now, all right? <laughs> Microphone gate 2K19 has completely taken over the show here. I'm now on my third microphone of the show. We're 22 minutes in here. I'm hoping this one's sounding much better. I mean, we've had David, Mark, Carlos, Russell, uh, everybody, Tanner, Darth Cisco here, lighten up the boards to get their inputs in on the microphone. All right, so this is now the third one I've tried. I think it's better. Producer Jacob's telling me it's much better. Sound better in your ears, Motsi? It does. You're crystal clear now, All man. All right, sounds better in my ears, too. All right, so final judgments here on Twitter, at Wesley Euler at the body 52 The body. Please help me get over this self-conscious, uh, self-doubt thing I got going on here now. Let me know if this microphone is solid. I, this is weird for me, Motsi. You know, I get some complaints on air from time to time, but this microphone, uh, microphone gate 2K19, it's got me... Got me a little rattled here, but we shall push through. You know why? Why? Because the standard is the standard. Woo! There we go. <laughs> and a big shout out to the power grid. Uh, as Mark says here, doing its part to keep this championship show <laughs> going on and giving an A-game effort. Yeah, thank you to everybody for uh, for letting me know about the microphone. I will say, Motsi, whenever things like this happen, it's always a good reminder that People out there are listening. Absolutely. You need that every once in a while. You know? And hey, come on, people. You don't have to just chime in when my microphone sounds terrible. Yeah. Or if you're calling Vince, Vince, and Vince, Vince. That's right. You know? That's right. Or I guess the only other time, too, this year, that we, the, the line, the, the tweets just blew up was when we were discussing the Ben Roethlisberger injury. Oh, absolutely, injury, yeah. But we'll take this same energy from you guys every single day. Absolutely. Uh, on Twitter, at Wesley Euler, at TheBody52. We... Did some evaluation there of Mason's performance in between microphone checks. We did. It was a little crazy. <laughs> uh, but how about what we saw from Juju Smith-Schuster 
and Deontay Johnson. We had kind of been waiting, Motsi, for the wide receivers to have a breakout game, right? To have guys go over 100 yards receiving. Well, two of them did so on Monday night in a big way for Juju and Deontay Johnson. Absolutely, man. That's just the thing that, we, like you said, we're waiting on all season. We hadn't seen any receiver for the Steelers have over 100 yards receiving. And when you look at the numbers of Juju, five catches, 103 yards, a touchdown. Deontay Johnson, five for 84 and a touchdown. I mean, those were two awesome performances by those two players. And they did it in very different ways. Obviously, Deontay had the big splash play, the 45-yard scamper um, right before halftime, which was just beautiful to see him do that, show off his speed, and ultimately his desire to get into the end zone. But then Juju was doing it in his combat catch way. It was like vintage Juju yeah. in terms of making those 50-50 jump balls and coming down with it and showing just the strong hands that he possessed because we all know he's not a burner. But what he does is he comes down with those type of plays, those type of 50-50 passes. And I think just seeing that, not only did it help the confidence of Mason because he's getting the numbers, he's getting to see his pass be completed, but for those two guys in terms of Juju and Deontay, they got a chance to put together a string of plays where they felt they were the reason. Because when we talk about the uh, previous week versus the Chargers, or two weeks ago versus the Chargers, they didn't have that same type of feeling. Right. Remember the conversation was how James Conner led the team in receiving. Juju had one catch over seven targets. And it was just a drastically different vibe in terms of how we were looking at that particular room, that position group. So seeing this man was just great for all of those guys in that room. I want to make sure I give proper due here. I believe the Twitter account that I saw this from yesterday was Stats Guy Daniel. Oh, yeah, that's my burner account. <laughs> well, I know you're always doing all the research. <laughs> You've got all the notes and all the opinions, so it wouldn't surprise me that Juju Smith-Schuster on Monday night on his five receptions had an average of point th- .8 yards of separation between him and the defensive back. You and I have talked a lot about how right – Mason, and, and this related to Devlin Hodges, too, in the game that he started against the Chargers. These guys, when they come from college, uh, from programs like Sanford, who aired the ball out over 1,400 yards thrown for by Duck in his college career. Mason, everybody knows, Big 12 offense, Oklahoma State, what him and James Washington were able to do during their college tenure. There was There needed to be an adjustment period, right, whether it was Mason or Duck, to learn what NFL Open was. Correct. And when I look and I see that Juju Smith-Schuster on his five receptions had an average of less than a yard of separation between him and the defensive back, that's encouraging to me that, one, what we already knew, but it's good to see it manifest that Juju can make those plays when he just just needs a little bit of space, and that, two, it's not like he was running you know, wide open down the field. Mason was still willing and able to make those throws. Yeah, I think... Mason did a good job in terms of with some of these 50-50 balls, putting him in a position where Juju had the opportunity. Yeah. And that's key because obviously with 50-50 balls, they're called that for a reason because the defender has a chance as well to make the interception. And at times, the defender will have his hand on the football like we saw on the Juju touchdown. But when you're putting the ball up there, you're banking on your receiver winning. You're ba- you're saying, I have more confidence in my receiver than I do that that DB can make that interception. Now, when you were going against the corners that they were going against in the second half, you can get away with that, and it worked out. I'm interested to see how that plays out going forward with better competition. But ultimately, if Juju can do what we are accustomed of seeing him do, 
then it'll be great. And that's ultimately what it's going to come down to going forward because, like you said, he doesn't get a ton of separation. But you're going to have to just rely on him to make those 50-50 combat catches. First 100-yard receiving hundred yards receiving game of the season for Juju Smith-Schuster. Yeah. Did you see the significance of that in the grand scheme of the NFL with the, <sighs> with the record that he broke? Oh, yeah, Randy Moss, absolutely. Yeah, yeah. Yes. The receiver under the age of 23 that had the most 100-yard games in NFL history was just some guy named Randy Moss. You might have heard of him. That's now Juju Smith-Schuster. He's broken Randy Moss's record for the most 100-yard receiving games for a wide receiver under the age of 23. And so right away when that came out, there were, of course, people that were, oh, okay, well, yeah, it's because he had A-B for those first couple years. (laughs) Randy Moss had Chris Carter, too. True. Is it true? Is it fair? Where I'm going with that? Oh, okay. Let's see. Where where you help me to know where you trying to go with this one, man? Isn't that fair comparison? But uh, yes, yeah. But 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 the difference was the difference was who was the number one receiver for that Vikings team? It was was, Randy Moss. Yeah, by his second year, it was Randy Moss. Even sometimes in his first year, it could have been Randy Moss. The Thanksgiving game, his rookie year versus the Cowboys, it was pretty clear who the number one receiver was. The best ever. Right. That's all I'm saying with that. <laughs> no, that's fair. But I think just in the sense, right, of having having another great talent, another right. Hall of Fame talent to take some of the pressure True. off. Is, I don't know if it was ever really a question in your mind, but do you think that going forward, a lot of those lingering questions, again, from fans and media, not I think from anybody around the team, about Juju's capability as being a number one wide receiver, it, it, he's... I think going to put that to rest as the season goes along and he develops more chemistry with Mason. I mean, I think that's definitely what we all would love to see. I think it's really, we're going to find out though, as Mason stays healthy and as this thing progresses, that's the beauty. Particularly here soon in the next couple weeks. That's the beauty of the NFL. He's going to get an opportunity to prove that he's the number one. We don't have to speculate. We don't have to guess. We're going to find out week to week with Juju and this team and this offense in particular is going to go as he goes especially when you think about the success that James has been able to have, but he's also banged up right now. So if this team wants to stay in the fight, if this team wants to continue to stack wins, Juju's going to have to continue to put up numbers. He's going to have to show that he can do it regardless of the competition. This, what, like I said, the first half it was Xavier Howard. We didn't really see a lot from him. Second half it was Ryan Lewis. He took advantage of it. This week coming up, he has some, I, I wouldn't say they were world beaters, but, in two weeks, you know who's coming into town? Mm-hmm. Jalen Ramsey. Mm-hmm. We're going to see. That's that's the beauty of the NFL. We're going to see what it looks like on a week-to-week basis. How good can he be? Now, does he have the potential to be a number one? Without a doubt. I think he definitely does. But that's the beauty. Like I said, we don't have to speculate. We're going to get this opportunity week in and week out going forward as long as Mason stays healthy. How much – would Juju be aided by the emergence of Deontay Johnson that we saw on Monday night? And, again, competition considered. Deontay Johnson's still a rookie, still getting his feet wet, getting his confidence built. But is it fair now to be able to expect more from him? Not in the sense of, you know, a a guy who's going to have to carry the offense or the pass game or anything, but being able to rely on him as a legit threat at the wide receiver position. Yeah, I think – that we can start to do that because he's shown on multiple occasions this season that he's capable of putting up numbers, that he's capable of not only catching passes but making guys miss, turning small plays into big plays, the same stuff that he was doing in the MAC at Toledo. Mm-hmm. He's showing that he can still do that at this NFL level. 
And that's the thing that is going to be really good for Juju because if you watch that Dolphins game, they didn't respect Juju and Deontay Johnson. The style of defense they were playing, regardless of that third and 20 zero blitz that they called, because even that is like the ultimate disrespect to a receiver. You're going to single cover me with no help anywhere? So the fact that when we saw in the first half how much you kept hearing, you kept hearing them say, oh, they're in this amoeba defense, this amoeba defense. Yeah, that's all cool. But they were still just playing single-man coverage, packing the inside like, we're going to try to do whatever it takes to stop this run. We don't think you guys can throw the ball on us. That should never happen. And if it does, you got to put up these type of numbers that we saw. And that's got to be the mentality for Juju and for Deontay Johnson going forward. Anytime teams going to disrespect us and play a single coverage, we got to make them pay because you wouldn't see that with any other number one receiver. You think they single cover DeAndre Hopkins? Nope. You think they single cover Julio Jones? Nope. Do you think they do you think they single cover T.Y. Hilton? Nope. It doesn't happen. And that's the thing that you have to demand. If you're a number one receiver, you have to demand two guys every play. And those are the things that I want to see from Juju going forward. What now is the ceiling for those three? Mason Rudolph, Juju Smith-Schuster, Deontay Johnson. What can you realistically expect to see from them the rest of the season as it relates – just to this season, right? right as absolutely. it relates to the offense, is it still going to be an offense that's going to have to be – incredibly balanced behind Rosie Nix and hopefully a healthy James Conner and getting the tight ends and involved and, and Juju and Deontay making plays. Is their ceiling high enough for these for this trio to, to maybe even win the Steelers a game if need be at some point this season? What's that ceiling look like for those three guys as it pertains to the rest of this year? Well, and when we're talking about those three, I do think that all their ceilings are high. I think Juju is probably the closest to his ceiling, and that's just due to him – like the style of player that he is he isn't a burner you know so it's not like he's just going to continue to run by people his style is he makes great combat catches he has great run after in terms of stiff arming guys and, and extending plays like that and I think like I said his ceiling is very high but I think he's the closest to it whereas Deontay I think has the most untapped potential right sure. now and we're starting to see little glimpses of it with his speed and athletic ability that he possesses I don't know if he's going to fully tap into it this season, though, but I do think that he's going to be a critical part to this offense in terms of how good they can be. Because, like I said, Juju, he's going to start commanding more attention. If he could put together a couple more games with that type of performance, he's going to command a lot of attention. And ultimately, the focus then falls on Deontay stepping up to be that, that safety valve, to be that other playmaker. Now, with Mason, I still don't know – his ceiling right now. We talked about that earlier in terms of he's just he hasn't played a lot of ball. Even with Deontay, with him being a rookie, we're still seeing him week in and week out be out there. With Mason, he missed some time. He wasn't starting at the beginning of the season. So it was just a lot of, all right, can he do this? We've seen flashes, which is really good, but I need to see the consistency. I need to see it versus a real like, – like we talk about NFL-level talent. And everybody that plays in the NFL, yes, they have NFL-level talent, but it's the difference between – being NFL caliber and being a starting caliber player or being an all-pro sure. pro bowl like Ryan Lewis, no offense to him, he's a really good NFL player, but he's not an NFL starter. You put him on your third or your fourth receiver, you put him on special teams, you don't have him out there guarding Juju. You don't have him out here guarding number one or guys who are capable of being number one type receivers. That's just not what you do. And those are the things that we saw Monday night. So that's why for me and with Mason and the things that he did – 
I need to see what that looks like versus better competition. Yeah, I agree. And like you mentioned, we're going to find out here real soon. Oh, yeah, he gets a chance now. Because better competition is coming to Pittsburgh the next two weeks in a row in form of the Indianapolis Colts, who have won five out of six, and the Los Angeles Rams, who suddenly seem rejuvenated with the addition of one Jalen Ramsey. Make one little trade. Crazy. Well, I don't know if that was a little. I mean, two first-round picks. I don't nah, know if I called it. That's a pretty that's big, big trade. <laughs> On Twitter, at Wesley Euler, at TheBody52. The body. When we come back here, want to talk about the run game, the success we saw them have behind Rosie Nix, the heavy, heavy packages with Zach Banner out there as well, too. 72 reporting is eligible. eligible. And, woo, yeah. yeah it is. And, and obviously, the kind of just cloudy situation around the health of James Conner, Benny Snell, and because of that, if you didn't notice yet, if you didn't hear about this, the Steelers made a move on their roster today. We will talk about all that when we return. Inside the Electric Factory, you are listening to Steelers Blitz on SNR. This is the Steelers Blitz with Wesley Euler and Arthur Motes on your 24-7 home of the black and gold, SNR. A lot to build upon Monday night in that win against the Miami Dolphins. You had your first 100-yard receiving performance from Juju Smith-Schuster. You also had your first 100-yard rushing performance on the ground of the year from James Conner. James! Scott. 145 big ones. You know, he was only a yard short of tying his all-time career high. 146, which happened last year mm-hmm. against them Brownies. I think, heck, I don't think, I know, I'm confident with this one, Motsi, that it's not a coincidence that we saw James Conner's finest performance of the season. We saw the run game's finest performance of the season with one Rosie Nicks finally back in the fold. Oh, yeah, man. Rosie Nix, his impact, it can't go, you know, unstated or not noticed, man. Just seeing from start to finish the holes that this man creates, the amount of bodies that he just lays down. The face masks that he Gosh. Dents. Like, that's the thing that you love when you see Rosie. And I can tell you as a former teammate of his, you – you react from that. Sure. Like, even as a defender, you see that and you get hyped. We're like, oh, Rose is in the game. Let's, uh, let's see what he's going to do. Let's see what 4-5 going to do. And not only in the offense element, but in the special teams element as well. I mean, this is a guy that impacts the game in multiple areas. And he's not the biggest. He's not the fastest. But he gets the job done. And you saw even after the game, James tweeting at Rosie like, thank you, man, because – he was missing that. It's night and day when, when Rosie's out there versus when he's not. The things that they're able to do, some of the counter runs, the way they're able to use Rosie's versatility, athletic ability, and toughness, man, it's it's just one of those things that you can never you, – you can just never give him enough praise for because, man, it's, it's, a, it. right, it's a dirty job, but he takes pride in his work, man. Yeah, and it was encouraging to see him back out there and what that means for the rest of the season. And Zach Banner as well, too. I mean, we're talking about... Talking about number 72 reporting is eligible. Yeah. Did you see the meme that him and the Steelers posted? No. So there's a famous video from the World Cup last summer. Okay. Where it's a bunch of England fans 
watching a huge jumbotron, right? Mm. And England scores a goal in the World Cup, and, you know, like all 200 fans just go absolutely mental. So they photoshopped the highlight of England scoring the World Cup goal right. and overdubbed it with the referee and Zach Banner and the referee going, number 72 is checked into the game. And then hey. it's like 300 people like, yeah. I like that. And that was, you know, their, their Steeler Nation's reaction every time he checks into the game. Is it fair? I think there was a lot of talk of, yeah, the Steelers will, you know, with Rosie back in the fold and with Zach Banner, they'll use some of that heavy personnel, but it'll be in small sample sizes. It wasn't in small sample size on Monday. It was a handful of plays. You expect that to continue. I do. Um, I think that with this team, when you're running the ball the way they ran the ball, you minimize the exposure that Mason Rudolph has to have in terms of some of these defenses. At the same time, you're helping your defense stay on the sideline and, and rest up. And you're ultimately demoralizing that defense you're playing against. As a player, you would much rather get scored on in terms of a bomb than have a team just run it down your throat. When you look at the amount of rushing yards this team, the Dolphins, gave up. Cool. I mean, it was just so – it was to the point where you knew what was about to happen and there was nothing they could do about it. That's one of the worst feelings as a defender when you know they're going to run the ball and you can't stop it. You know you got to get off the field, but you just can't. It's a helpless feeling. And that's the things that you get when you're bringing in Zach, when you're having Rosie out there, and when James is running the way he ran the other night. Those are the things that make them special like that. Those are the things that make – this offense have the potential to be a very impactful unit. And that's why I think we're going to still continue to see a lot more of that going forward because even though you know, oh, Zach Brandon's in this of run, hey. Okay, stop it. You stop it, period. Can you stop it? The Cowboys used to do that with Zeke. Man, early on, you would know, okay, they're about to run the ball here. Nothing you could do about it. You think about, man, just countless – I'm trying to think it was another uh, – it was like that two years ago with the Jags and Leonard Fournette yes, when they yes, had their same really good concept. season. Like you knew, oh, this guy's in, it's a run. Or even when uh when Chris Hubbard was here. Yeah. He would come in. Eligible. Same concept. You know they're running the ball. Can't stop it. That that's the feeling that you were getting on Monday night, and that's ultimately the feeling that you get in the mindset you have to have your Randy Feekner going forward that, hey, yeah, they might know we're going to run the ball, but until they prove they can stop it, let's keep it going. And it's got to be an empowering feeling for the offense, as much as it's demoralizing to the defense, right, for the offense to say, all right, you know what we're doing here, and you still can't stop us. Absolutely. you We, we have something. We have a package here that you have no answer for. What, you going to go goal line defense in the middle of the field? <laughs> I dare you. I double dare you. Like, this is not happening. So until you can figure out how to stop this, we're going to keep running. And the reason why bringing in Banner helps out so much is when you think about whether it's a 4-3 defense or a 3-4 defense, if it's a 4-3 defense, you're typically getting a DN who would more than likely be going against a tight end who is what? Vance McDonald's what, 240, 250? Yeah, sounds about right. So typically, okay, you're getting a DN, a defensive lineman, going against a tight end. That's a win for that DN. You book that as a win. If it's a 3-4 a defense, you got your outside linebacker on that tight end. And once again, you're still booking that as a win. You're saying, hey, my guy is bigger and better than this tight end. It's different when you put an offensive tackle out there because now you're like, hey, we ain't got no answer for this right here, man. This is a little different. This isn't a guaranteed win. This tackle lined up over this DN or this outside linebacker has 
you know, 60, 70 pounds on him easily. Vance is listed at 267. Man, I don't know, but I don't know about that's that. That's what they're listing him at. He's not 267. 250? At best. <laughs> yeah. You would know. Hey, you got the, you hey, got man, the eyeball my, test. My, for my, thing, my thing said I was 250 for how many years? It was times I showed up at 238. I actually waited 232 for a whole year. <laughs> that thing still said 250, though. <laughs> Yeah, they're not, up, they're not updating that week. Not at all. <laughs> uh, Darth Cisco chimes in here on Twitter, at Wesley Euler, at TheBody52. The body. Asking about what was up with the offensive line and, in his words, getting their butt kicked for most of the first half. Yeah, well, that's something that I definitely want to talk about in terms of the pass protection early on. We saw on the one interception, Marquise Pouncey got pushed back a little bit. Now, granted, I kind of felt that Mason held onto the ball a little, a little too bit long. too long. But – when you're just looking at the the amount of pressure that was being generated, that was a little alarming because we know that the offensive line has typically been a unit that has been a strong point for this Steelers team in recent history. So seeing some of the pressure they were giving up versus a, a unit that I didn't think had a ton of talent in terms of pass rushers, in terms of guys being disruptive, I was a little surprised by that. Now, Granted, they have some injuries up front now. Obviously, Ramon Foster in the concussion mm-hmm. protocol. Um, we saw some, I think it was DeCastro came out for like a couple plays as well. So we saw some moving around a little bit up there. But ultimately, man, they definitely have to play better. And, and they'll say the same things themselves. They'll say that, hey, no they're doubt. not pleased by that performance. They love the running aspect of it. They love the second half aspect of it. But in terms of their pass protection in the first half, they're not satisfied with that. They want to do more because they know how good they typically have been. The availability status of James Conner and Benny Snell up in the air for this weekend. And I would imagine even more so on a short week with a day less to rest and recover. So a corresponding move coming from the Steelers today. They have added Darren Hall to the practice squad and if that name sounds familiar to some of you out there he is a former Pitt Panther last year his senior season rushed for over 1100 yards with the Pitt Panthers uh, Youngstown Ohio native so local guy and making room for him is a Youngstown State tight end and another local guy uh, Pine Richland grad Kevin Rader the tight end was cut to make room for Hall on the practice squad he sent he spent the preseason with the Packers this year, played in three games, had 10 carries for 39 yards. He's on the practice squad, though, added Correct. to the practice squad, not the active squad. Does that at least tell you that they feel good about the available? Because we know Jalen Samuels yesterday, Coach Tomlin, if, if people missed this too, said he's got a clean bill of health, he's good to go. So is this just almost a break in, in type of emergency type, you know, break glass and type of emergency right. type situation with him being out of the practice squad. Is that an indicator that they feel confident Snell or Connor will be able to go? I think it is. And I also think that they're saying to themselves, let's not make a roster move if we don't have to. Sure. I know right now that uh, Coach Thomas said that James Connor probably will be limited in terms of his availability throughout the week and that he doesn't need the practice to play. But it's different with Benny Snell. Right, it's different with Benny Snell, though. But I think their whole mindset is if Benny's able to practice and we think that James will be back Sunday, or if he has to miss Sunday but we have Benny and Jalen Samuels, then we don't need to make a roster move right now. Now, if Thursday or Friday hits and, hey, James isn't looking like he's going to be available, Benny hasn't looked good, coming off of the knee hasn't practiced hasn't practiced well then they make that move but i think right now it's just a 
you know, let's just get him in the building, get him in these meetings, see where he's at from a conditioning standpoint, and proceed accordingly. And you got to think they're pretty familiar with Darren Hall, right? A guy who played his college football here, a guy that, you know, they're down there on the in the facility with and have seen over the last few years. Maybe they're just confident in his ability, too, to, like you said, be able to come in, get comfortable, learn the playbook, and, and you know, provide some options and some depth there on the practice squad. Yeah, and all of those things play into it, man. But I think the biggest thing is going to just seeing the availability of Benny Snell through practice Wednesday and Thursday, seeing how James Conner's progressing from a health standpoint up throughout the week. Granted, we're probably not anticipating seeing him practice. No. And then ultimately how Jalen Samuels looks as well because – I understand that Coach Thomas said that he has a clean bill of health and that he was healthy and good enough to go Monday night. If they would have needed him, yeah. But my thing is they didn't dress him. So I always have that dilemma of, okay, how can a guy be good to go and healthy, but you don't dress him? If he's good to go, could he not have helped you? Yeah. Is he not a guy who has been a focal point, a key contributor to the offense is having a success this season? So that was the part where I was just kind of like, I don't know if I buy that 100%. But if he's saying that he's good to go going forward, then I'm definitely excited about that. Certainly some developments to keep an eye on there in the running back health department, and we will as the rest of the week goes on. Inside the Electric Factory, it's Euler Remotes. When we come back here, one of my favorite segments of the week, we'll go inside the play with Arthur Motes. He's going to pick you got one play, two play. I think you said two. I got two. two you know, two plays, right? You know, two it's plays. Like one that, play in a series of stuff. You know okay, and there we go. Just, don't give away. Don't just give roll away too with much. It, man. Don't just give roll away with too it. much. Now You're asking too many questions. <laughs> we'll see when we come back. It's inside the play where Mozi uses that keen football eye of his to break down specifics from the Steelers game on Monday night. You want to chime in? You got another hour to do so. Again, at Wesley Euler at the Body Fifty Two. The Body on Twitter. Inside the play when we return. Inside the Electric Factory, it's Steelers Blitz on SNR. Hewler and Motes are on the air. This is the Steelers Blitz on your 24-7 home of the black and gold. SNR. Steelers Nation Radio. Good afternoon, Steeler Nation. How we doing? Well, that's good. Euler Emotes with you here inside the Electric Factory. Hour number two. You already know the drill. You want to chime in on the Twitter.com at Wesley Euler at the body 52. The body. And Motes is feeling good about himself. You know, he's had a good microphone the whole show. Hey, man. He likes the return <laughs> music. It's his favorite hour of the day because he gets me doing my, uh, hey, everybody. How hey, you doing? Well, that's doing? good. Good afternoon. It's so simple yet it's so eloquent, huh? I like it. <laughs> you have the timing right, man. Good afternoon. I'm Wesley, you ladies and gentlemen. And I know that's the biggest. <laughs> You're in the electric factory. It's very much. Um, Welcome to the power. It's like my Delilah <laughs> moment. You know, like you know who I'm talking about that, that national radio host mm-hmm. Delilah, who like everybody calls in to talk hey, about man. their boyfriend problems. It's or... like that sometimes. <laughs> sometimes you just got to be the soothing presence on the other end of. You know. Good afternoon, Steelers Nation. Good how afternoon. we how we doing? Well, that's good. <laughs> Wesley Euler, Arthur Motes with you here. Fucking the electric factory. Inside the electric factory. Shout out to the power grid. On Twitter, at Wesley Euler, <laughs> at the body 52. I said it's the body. <laughs> <laughs> We're laughing. We're having some good times. There's been a whole bunch on the board today, but now it is time for a segment that I love. We call it Inside the Play. Maybe oh, yeah. Inside the Plays, because, you know, nobody puts Motsi in a corner. If he wants to do more than one play, 
He's going to do more than one play. Talk about it. But this is something we started doing, what, a few weeks ago? It was yeah, into the season when we came up with this idea. Yeah. But it is, a, it is a deep dive by Arthur Motes into a specific, again, play or series of plays that he wants to talk about more from the Steelers' previous contest. So here we go. It's time for what would be, what, the week eight edition yeah. of Inside the Play. It's not the penultimate. Alrighty, ladies and gentlemen, the first play that I got to talk about is the Juju Smith-Schuster jump ball touchdown. Now, the thing that really impressed me the most about this from Juju's standpoint was he showed his elite level ability to not only track the ball, but to make combat catches. This is something that we fell in love with Juju about for his whole career, his ability to go up and make plays on 50-50 balls. And when you watch the film, you see the defender actually had his hands on the football, but Juju showed his uncanny ability to say, you know what, I'm special. I do this, I can be a number one receiver, and ultimately come down with it for the beautiful touchdown pass. Now, I also have to give credit to Mason Rudolph because he did put the ball in a place that allowed Juju to have a chance at that 50-50 ball, and that's not always as easy as it sounds. Sometimes, quarterbacks throw it a little too far, or they underthrow it too much. But Mason did show the touch that was needed on that particular play. And I just love to see Juju go up and show his specialized skill set. And you know we always love a little combat catch. Got a combat catch, baby. You know I love a little contact. Combat, combat, combat. What else you got for us, Motsi? Now, the next play. I got to talk about James Conner. And it's not just one play. It was a series of plays. In particular, the counter runs that we were seeing from him. Sometimes they were using... I believe it was David DeCastro pulling around. Obviously, they were having Rosie Nicks out there. But they did just a, a couple of variations of that type of run where James countersteps one way, where he takes a jab step, and then he gets the ball, and he's coming back to the opposite side. And the thing that I liked about it so much was he was doing a great job of allowing his blockers time to set up, time to get a hat on a hat, time to get impact, time to get some movement. Whereas a lot of times with younger running backs, they get so excited when they get the ball. They don't have that patience. They're hitting it too fast. They're not hitting it in the right hole and different things like that. And ultimately, instead of getting 10, 15-yard gains, they're getting two- and three-yard gains. But with James, he was showing that patience. And the thing that I also liked was he found the duck on that Dolphins defense. Number 21, Mr. Eric Rowe, the young man, did not want to tackle. Nope. He didn't have an inkling of, I want to put my face in the fan on him. He hasn't in his entire NFL career. And James Conner. Shout out to James. He identified it. He attacked it. And he exploited it. And that was something that we saw so many times on Monday night and which ultimately led to the success that he was having. But the things that I really take away from that was, like I said, number one, James' maturity. That maturity to let the block set up, to let these guys get out there and clear the way for him. And for James, his vision, not always having to hit it inside, sometimes being able to bounce it outside and just using his God-given ability, man. So those are the two plays that we wanted to dive in the most. And ultimately, James had a ton of success because it did get that young man AFC Player of the Week. Major shout-out, James. Major shout-out. 
That is inside the play with the body, Arthur Motes. I love it. I love it. So sticking on the offensive side of the ball there, that's rare from you. I know. Did you, I mean, were you struggling to write that out? Like, it, it, uh, it, it, you know, anytime I don't include a defender, it hurts me. Were you but, just twitching? Like, I, I can talk about the Mink interceptions. Oh, I, I was can, like, oh, I, I should go Mink. No, no, no. I was like, oh, Bud Dupree. TJ Hot. Ah, TJ Watt. Ah, the Mike Hilton forced fumble. But I said, you know what? Juju and James, I have been hard on them. I've been critical of them this season in terms of their lack of productivity, in terms of the expectations that were placed upon them going into this season and that they haven't lived up to. And I felt that I always tell people, if you're going to critique somebody, if you're going to critique a performance when they do bad, you make sure that you praise them and give them their due diligence when they do good. And I'm a man of my word. So that's why I'm making sure that I'm coming in here and letting the people know that those two guys in particular, man, balled out. They did a phenomenal job and ultimately were the, the key catalyst to this offense performance. You talked about the juju jump ball there, the 26-yard touchdown reception, right? The mm-hmm. comeback catch and how – Come on, who doesn't love a comeback catch? Okay, I got to love a comeback catch. How there was – you know, it, that Mason has to do his part on those type of plays as well too. We haven't seen as much of that this year as we've wanted to see from, from Juju and really any of the wide receivers. Very but true. Sp- specifically sticking with Juju, up to this point, is that is more of that onus on the quarterbacks that right through the first, what, six games of the season, they didn't give Juju that opportunity? Mm-hmm. And, and, and do you expect that to change now going forward as, as Mason gets more comfortable? Yeah, I do think the, the quarterback carousel that we had to all endure – once Ben went down and obviously when Mason went down and then Mason comes back and all these other things, I think all that played a factor into it in terms of those quarterbacks' confidence in Juju, in terms of Juju's ability to, I think it was what you said, 0.8 yard separation? 0.8 yard and, separation I mean, he might have been getting like 0.4 initially, so now up to 0.8, that's good. That's good for him. But I think all of that goes back to the quarterbacks, like you said, feeling confident enough to say, hey, you know what, I can put this ball up here. I can trust this guy's going to go ahead and make this play. And those are the things that we were able to see from him. So I do think that was why we haven't we hadn't seen it so much going uh, in the past order. We haven't seen so much of it. But I do think going forward we will see more of that. It, we, <laughs> I, I mean, like I think back, right, to the very first play of the game against the Chargers when Juju had that single coverage. Oh, it was coverage, there. Double it move. Was there, it was there. It was just underthrown by Duck, right? And this is something – I've told you the you know the all twenty two film junkies right we've got a couple in 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 house here and, and Matt we know Williams, a guy and, and Matt Williamson and then Chris Carter they've been saying Juju's getting open the opportunity has been there the the quarterbacks just haven't been giving him the opportunity to go up and make those plays they haven't been putting the balls in area where he has the opportunity to go up and get that and that it had been more on the quarterbacks at this point hopefully well, now that's starting to change absolutely and I, I will say this. A lot of times, I mean, when we talk about Juju, he was getting open. Yes, but at that position, it goes both ways. Mm-hmm. It's times where the quarterback isn't making the throw, and then it's other times where the quarterback is wanting to throw there and he's not open. It's no different when I look at pass rushers. When they get a sack, it's all great. <laughs> but you look at the times where they're getting blocked, and it's like, oh, man, this guy can't win. And then he wins, but the quarterback gets it out early. It's so many factors that go into a successful play. And that's the thing that I love so much about football. Yeah, you can have a great route, but if the quarterback doesn't see you, doesn't get you the ball, it doesn't matter. 
the quarterback can have a great arm, but if you're not getting open, it doesn't matter. You can have a great pass rush, but if the quarterback gets rid of it fast because the corner didn't cover, it doesn't matter. And the corner can cover forever, but if you can't beat your man on this play, then it doesn't count. And those are the things that just makes this game so unique and so special. Talked about James Conner and the counter runs and the patience there as well, too. We hadn't seen as much of that in the first six games as well. How much of that opening up over the course of the Dolphins game do you think was a direct correlation between, all right, the offense, Mason and the wide receivers were finally putting some air yards under some receptions, and it's obviously then after that, ipso facto, much more difficult for the defense to pack the box like defenses had been doing against the Steelers all year. I think the run element of it is what opened up the passing more than when you watch okay. that Dolphins game. Obviously, in the it's first half. It's a chicken half, or the egg type yeah, conversation. But when I think about the first half, I think about the two interceptions. Well, the one interception and the would-be interception, but he didn't get his feet down. Mm-hmm. And those are things that had all of us, I don't care who you are, if you're a Steelers fan, you watch that game, you would say, hey, do not throw the ball again. Run it. <laughs> Period. <laughs> and James was still steady Eddie, getting the, the, the constant productive yards, the positive plays. And I think that's ultimately what led to the things that happened in the second half. And granted, we all know the the Deontay Johnson play is what broke the game open and really swung the momentum. But prior to that pass happening, it was, all right, we need to lean heavier on this running game. We need to lean heavier on James, Rosie Nix, making an impact. And that's what we were seeing more of. And then obviously once the injuries and everything's transpired in the second half, then you start seeing them air it out a lot more. But I definitely think the running game was the key component to opening up the pass game in that particular situation. That's inside the play with the body, Arthur Motes. Good stuff there. And, oh, man, tune in next week to see if Motesy can keep his defensive chops (laughs) in check (laughs) once again. Don't count on it. Particularly against this Colts team, right? Because the defense hey. defense is going to have to make some big listen, plays. Listen, I got a five-star matchup that's coming up. I can't wait Ooh. to talk about that. includes one Cam Hayward, baby. Ooh, oh, man. I bet it's against Cam oh, Hayward and one, man. one stud guard for we, the Colts, maybe? We got all pro on all pro this week, man. Oh, Come on now, baby. Come on now, one. baby. You know what's funny is... Uh, you and I, we you know we do some uh, some pick them on our show. You yeah. know we do get that paper show. Every once in a while, we have a little fun on Fridays. You and I to peel the curtain back here. We have a lot of gambling conversations yeah. during, <laughs> during during the breaks. I would just a couple of degenerates, I would, baby. I would have put a lot of money on the fact that one of your five star matchups was going to be a certain all pro oh, defensive yes. lineman against a certain hey, all man. pro offensive lineman. I cannot <laughs> wait. But we'll get to that on Friday because coming up next year. Wednesday. That means a couple things on the show. Uh-oh. One of those Uh-oh. is a little best of the West Wednesday. We missed out. You better not have your Eagles up there we, either, man. We missed oh. out on this last week because Motsi was out on Wednesday. So I'll give my top 10 teams my hierarchy, right? My power oh, rankings. If you come in here talking that Eagles nonsense today. Just nobody tell Arthur Motes I have the Minnesota Vikings number one on my list. No, I'm kidding. I'm kidding. Whoa. But are the Vikings on my list? Are the Eagles on my list? Are Motes' Buffalo Bills on my list? Well, you'll have to stay with us to (laughs) find out. You're inside the electric factory. It's Euler and Motes, best of the West, up next, right here on SNR. This 
is the Steelers Blitz with Wesley Euler and Arthur Motes on your 24-7 home of the black and gold, SNR. Inside the electric factory on a Wednesday afternoon, and that can only mean one thing. At this time, it's 1.20, and it's best of the West. It's Brucey's time to shine. Oh, yeah. So, most of you are probably familiar, but a quick primer if you're not. Best of the West here, right? Top 10 teams in the National Football League. 1 to 10. I'll start at the top of the list. All right, do this a little differently than usual. Most people usually start at the back of the list. I like to start at the top of the list. And remember, folks, this is meant to be, eh, what's the word I'm looking for? Crazy. Hyperbolic. Bias. All right, so this does not translate to where I think these teams are going to be in December or January or who I think, oh, how could you have this team rated ahead of the Kansas City Chiefs? I'm sure I'll hear that today. Well, that's because Patrick Mahomes isn't playing. So this is right now at this moment, not what I think they're going to look like in December, January when playoff time rolls around. All right. Right now, at this moment, your top 10 teams. This magic moment. This magic moment. Come on, man. Stay focused. Number one. (laughs) I continue to shock the world by putting this team at number one. I'm the only person in the entire football media who has this team number one, the New England Patriots. That's it. That's me. Because you know, Motsi, nobody believes in these guys. You know, nobody believes in Tom Brady. He's too old. Nobody no, believes, no, 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 no. You do because that's that your favorite and that player. Defense, yeah, the Patriots, they're just so disrespected here. Uh, as, you, year. as you're in here drinking a, a nice kale smoothie, Mr. TB12 himself. If you can't pick up on my sarcasm. Nah, there is no sarcasm with you, buddy. Yeah. You're a TB12 I just, you lover. know, I echo all of Julian Edelman's sentiments as he walks up and down the sideline and says to Tom Brady, You're too mm-hmm. old, bro. You're washed up, bro. Nobody mm-hmm. believes in you, bro. Because he's right. I mean, nobody believes in Tom Brady. Nobody calls him the GOAT. So, so nobody says that this Patriots team's going 16 and 0. Hey, hey, nobody question. says that Bill Belichick's the best. Nobody believes in the Patriots except for me. I got him at number one. Why do you have a TB12 shirt on? I don't. You want me to tell the people what shirt I have on right TB12? now? TB12. It's Phil Kessel eating hot dogs out of the Stanley Cup. It's That's the TB12. T-shirt I have on right now. Is TB12 holding up six fingers? I know you put your house on the market because Tom Brady put <laughs> his house. You heard Tom Brady put his house on the market, so you want to make sure to move. Yeah, if Tom Brady's moving, Mutsi's moving. <laughs> Package deal. <laughs> I've got the Patriots like every other flipping person in the world. Number one on my power rankings. Number two. Yeah, no change here either. Moats' favorite coach, Sean Payton, in the New Orleans Saints. If it ain't broke, don't fix it. At number two, if it ain't broke, don't fix it. This is a team that won five straight games without Drew Brees. Man, so you're saying he's like doing his job down there, huh? He is. So he's balling out, huh? Like you you said in in your last segment, (laughs) right? That that you had criticized, not criticized, but you had wanted more from James Conner and Juju Smith-Schuster. And then you're giving them their props when they Mm -hmm. do so. Listen, I'm I'm president, CEO, founder, COO, CFO of the Sean Payton Haters Club. <laughs> but I got to give credit where credit's due. All right, seven there and, we go. Seven and one despite losing Breeze for five games and despite playing a pretty tough schedule to yes. this point. I got the Saints at number and two. And he did a great job and of Alvin saying. Kamara's been out. He did a great job of saying, you know what? I appreciate your efforts, Teddy Bridgewater, but I'm riding with Drew. Yes. Because that was a conversation as well. It was. It was, and they respond in Drew Breeze's First game by rolling up more than 500, yard, 500 yards on offense and a 31-9 to win against the Cardinals. Shout out to Sean Payton. Yeah. <laughs> Listen, I don't like him, but again, I'm not, I'm not too proud to give credit where credit's yes. due. All right? I've got the Saints at number two. Number three, 
This might surprise some people. And I say the Eagles. No, would you stop? You it? made me nervous. The Green Bay Packers. Oh, okay, okay, fair enough. And I've got them ahead of the Niners. I've got the Niners at four, and and here's the reason why. Aaron Rodgers versus Jimmy Garoppolo. I mean, mm. it's it's that simple for me. We've finally seen these last two weeks. Aaron Rodgers starting to look more like Aaron Rodgers. The Niners are fantastic. They're the lone undefeated team in the National Football League besides the Patriots. Nick Bosa in that defense. Oh, man, they're scary. And Nick Bosa in particular. Uh, but I've got the Packers at number three. I, I believe in Kyle Shanahan and the Niners in that team. I believe in the Packers and Aaron Rodgers and Matt LaFleur and the job that he's done in a short time in Green Bay. They've both got good defenses. I give the Niners a slight edge there in the defensive department. But when it comes down to when I'm splitting hairs between the Packers and the Niners for the third and fourth spot, I'm going to look at the quarterbacks, and I'm taking Aaron Rodgers over Jimmy G all day and okay. twice on Sundays. Okay, I like that. Fair? Fair enough. Packers three, Niners four. I know you've got some love for Nick Bosa. I do. He might win. Forget rookie, defensive rookie of the year. He might win NFL defensive rookie, player yeah, of NFL the year. Player of the year, absolutely. My man's balling. Defensive player of the year. Let's clarify that. Yeah, you know, DPO. They, they, only right. give they only give MVP MVPs to quarterbacks. quarterbacks. <laughs> Duh. And Adrian Peterson. Yeah. <laughs> Nick Bosa, three sacks, an interception that he almost took back to the house on a pick six. Man, he's good. Uh Lawrence Taylor, the only rookie to ever win Defensive Player of the Year in 1981, by the way. So you're saying there's a chance. So I'm saying there's a chance. So Patriots won, and then a run of NFC teams, Saints two, Packers three, Niners four. And then I've got the Seahawks at number five. I There's a lot of teams here, I think, after four you could make a case for at number five. And you'll see the teams that I've got behind them. But none of those teams have Russell Wilson at quarterback. I just think, again, when it comes down to when I'm splitting hairs here, I'm always going to take the team that I think has the better quarterback. Seahawks sitting at 6-2. and two. Uh, Their only losses to the Saints and the Ravens, two teams that are playing good football as well, too. To, uh, to finish up the top five there, I've got the Seattle Seahawks. Okay, fair enough. I like it. Number six. And this is the highest I've had them on the list all oh, year. Oh, boy, you better not be talking about these Eagles. Would you stop it? Oh, you made me nervous, man. I think I had the Eagles on our very first before the season started. I had them at like four or five. So uh, oh, right, clearly yeah. it's not the highest that all they've right. been all year. I can't remember. You talk about them so much. Gosh. And number six, I've got the team that's rolling into Pittsburgh this weekend, the Ooh, Indianapolis Colts. Okay. Uh, it's the highest I've had them all year. And, hey, again, remember, this is supposed to be hyperbolic. And this is a team that's won five out of their last six. This is a team that's getting playmaking, solid performances out of Jacoby Brissett. This is a team that just last week got Darius Leonard back. Uh, Malik Hooker still not completely healthy. They are very, very well coached under Frank Reich. And, again, five wins in their last six games. I've got the Colts at number six. Number seven. This is where Arthur Motes starts to pull his hair out. The Minnesota Vikings. Okay. This, right. is, this is a team that I am I, I'm a little pessimistic on them having success when the playoffs roll around. But right now they've won four straight games against some good teams. They've got a tough schedule coming up here that includes the Saints and the Chiefs and the Cowboys. So we're going to find out how good they are soon. Oh, yeah. This is true. But right now sitting at 6-2 and two in a tough division, I've got the Vikings at number seven number eight i'll come back to the afc and those houston texans now jj watt is out that's a tough loss but man you continue to see deshaun watson every week 
making plays. You saw him last week. He got kicked in the face and, and able to stay on his feet. Oh, yeah, he makes it happen. Was that one of the most impressive things you've seen no, in a that, while? That, that looked good, man. <laughs> and then seeing how his eye looked after the game, right. I was like, wow. He's fixing his eyes. He's out there yeah. like a pirate with one eye closed, making Arr, a touchdown pass. Bucks. I think the Houston Texans, while they've lost some close games, uh, I think with Deshaun Watson in the fold, they've got the talent to play with anybody, and I've got them at number eight. Number nine, got the Baltimore Ravens, five and two, another AFC team. Again, we're going to find out how good the Ravens really are. An impressive win before their bye week out in Seattle where they had two defensive touchdowns, a pick six and a scoop six. I'm still a little cautious on the Ravens. We're going to find out how good they are soon, particularly this Sunday night against those New England Patriots. But I think I would also be – just wearing my black and gold Ravens hater glasses if I didn't have them in my top 10. Yeah. I've got them at number nine. And last but not least here before Motsi tears me apart, no, it's not the Eagles. It's not the Chiefs. It's not the Buffalo Bills. Mm. I've got the Los Angeles Rams at number 10. Five and three playing their best football right now. Cooper Cup having him back in the fold is huge for that team. Todd Gurley still looks iffy week to week, but that defense is revitalized. We already know they've got the best defensive player in the league in Aaron Donald. Now you give them a guy who is probably with Stephon Gilmore, I'd say, right there is the best corner in the league as well, too. I think the Rams are playing good football right now. I think they're going to continue to play good football as the year goes along. I've got them at number 10. And then my next three teams out would be the Chiefs, the Bills, and the Dallas Cowboys. So quick recap here before we give Motsi's opinions. New England won. And then after that, Saints, Packers, Seahawks. That's your top five. Number six, Colts, Vikings, Texans, Ravens, Rams to round out the top ten. Arthur Motes, your thoughts? All right. Well, I'll start out with number one. We do agree the Patriots are number one. We're the only people in the, in the yeah. entire NFL world that have you them know, number one. Everybody not, just doubts those guys. No, you know, they're, they're world beaters right now. They've overcome so many obstacles, so much adversity. Just <laughs> – Gosh, such a feel-good story, man. They are the Rudy of the NFL. <laughs> That's what they Stop are. It. <laughs> Stop it. Yeah, but, just, a, just a little undersized walk-on. You know, that's all they are, man. They just want to play for Notre Dame. That was it. <laughs> but after that, this might be one of the first weeks I don't think we've had any picks the same. Okay. This is history in the making. So we'll start at number two. You got the Saints. Drew Brees obviously came back in a big way. He looks phenomenal. But I can't go against this Niners defense and how they have been finding ways to win. And not only are they finding ways to win, Jimmy G handled his own versus the Panthers defense that I think is really good. So with that being said, mm. I have my – not my Niners. Oh, your Niners. No, this is the part I can see my wife's from San Fran. You know what I mean? So yeah. <laughs> That's right. That's yeah, right. Yeah, but so, I okay, have the so Niners, the at, Niners number at number two. I have okay. the Niners at number two. Now I have the Saints at number three because, like you said, Drew Brees is a bad man. I love what he's able to do now that he's back. I know Kamara's on the shelf right now, but when he comes back, you know how dangerous they could be. Obviously, Michael Thomas Yeah. and the defense. I mean, I think the defense doesn't get talked about enough. It's the most underrated aspect of that team. No question. It really is. And and it's at all three levels. They have guys that can flood out ball, and that's the thing that I love about the Saints defense. And – I mean, from a coaching standpoint, Sean Payton is pretty good. Just no, throwing it he out is, there. He yeah. is. Listen, I can be a hater, yeah. and I can. It's like you know, last night I think you know, there's a ton of Philadelphia Flyers fans, most of them that loathe Sidney Crosby. Yeah. But sometimes uh, even those people are like, man, that dude is unreal. He's pretty good. Uh, it's kind of like me with Sean Payton. Okay, 
Good. As long as we're on the same page so, with that. So you've got Patriots, Niners, Saints. Yep. So we, we flip-flop a little bit here because they're my fourth. You had the 49ers. This is why I have the Packers at. Okay. And I love what the defense is doing. Mike Patton is doing a phenomenal job up there. Obviously, that's my former D.C. from my time in Buffalo. We've seen Aaron Rodgers heat up these past two weeks. I like that a lot. That's very promising. But he has to continue. That's my thing. I need to see it con- consistently for me to know it's real and have fools go. Okay. They say anybody can get If you do it once, you got lucky. Anybody could do it twice. But to do Even it three times. Even a blind times, squirrel now, finds a nut every once in a right. while. Anybody could do it once. Broken clock is right twice a day. But to do it three times, that's a habit. That's consistency. That means I could depend on that. So this is the week I'm waiting to see what we get from Aaron Rodgers. And right. number five. So our top four are the same. No, just we both different. have New England and then just different yeah. order. Literally, after we, that. Flipped, we flipped it. Yeah. So you had Saints, Packers, That's right. Niners. You I have Niners, Packers, Packers I had, Saints. Yes. I like it. So we just flip flop. Number five. Number five, you had the Seahawks. I had the team that beat the Seahawks, the Baltimore Ravens. Ooh. Yeah. I'm drinking the Kool Aid on Lamar <laughs> Jackson. My man could do it. <laughs> he scrambles, makes those he needs to make, even though in his tight ends and receivers are finding all type of ways to get creative with their drops. I was like, how do you just, how do you drop that pass? Like it hit you right in the number, like right in the <laughs> smack dab between the numbers. Like it's unreal. You should be dropping this pass, but they're finding ways to get it done with Lamar. Super creative. Harbaugh is doing a great job in that regard. Defense for them. I mean, you saw the instant impact of Marcus Peters. Mm-hmm. Earl Thomas is out there playing well. Marlon Humphrey is And, and when you look at the fantastic. amount of guys that they've called up from the street, former teammate of mine, LJ Fort, former teammate of mine, Josh Bynes, both of those guys coming in playing big minutes, being big contributors for that Ravens defense. Pernell McPhee's trying to find a fountain of youth over there. All of those guys defensively are just getting the job done. And they did it on the road two weeks ago. Obviously, they were on the bye this past week. But to go into Seattle and beat a, a Russell Wilson-led Seahawks team that was hot. By 14 points. That doesn't happen often. So I had to put them at five. Now, my sixth team is that Russell Wilson-led offense, that Seahawks that are still very hot and still very dangerous and one of the best teams in the NFC. I think we can all agree upon that in mm-hmm. terms of them being Super Bowl caliber Super Bowl contenders, Pete Carroll's doing a great job in terms of motivating those guys. I Every think, year they're like, all right, this is the year the Seahawks go 6-10, and 7-9, and nine, and then nope. they're in the playoffs. <laughs> Absolutely, and I think they have a lot of talent this year compared to how it was uh, over the past like year or two where they were dealing with the injuries. Like, Granted, they had the names, but those guys weren't out there. Right. And now when you're looking at the guys actually putting out there on the rosters, I mean putting out there on the field, you're saying, okay, these guys are very formidable. These guys can really get it going. And I'm still excited to follow DK Metcalf to see what he can emerge into because he flashes, but then you see some of the things, the inconsistencies. Like the fumble against the right, Ravens. The stuff that, that we talked about coming out of him coming out of college. We were starting to see some of that, so that's why I'm a little concerned. But I'm ready to see more of Jadavion Clowney's impact. Mm-hmm. You know, I'm a big LB fan, so obviously you got Bobby Wagner and KJ Wright. Both of those guys can do their thing. Fantastic. And those are the type of things that make me have to put that Seahawks defense and that Seahawks team overall in number six. Now my number seven team, they might be a little high, but it's because I'm a little biased. I know where this is going. It's the Buffalo Bills. Oh, come on. It's the Buffalo Bills. Come on. And and here's why. Here's why. They had their second loss of the season. Who was that to? Your Philadelphia Eagles. Mm. And it was one of those performances where every every time we talk about a team like throughout the season, they have one of those bad performances where it's like, look, 
that team's not going to play that bad again. Nothing went right. Nothing went right. That was a situation in Buffalo. I mean, the defense that has been playing lights out all season had one of their worst performances. They were missing tackles. Ultimately looked just confused and sometimes defensively. Who is it? Miles Sanders? Like, who? Yeah. Who is this guy? Well, he's the guy who had to wait his entire life behind Saquon Barkley to finally I'm get I'm just saying. Chance. Who is this guy? And then he comes in and he lights up the bills, which never happens against a run. Like, they don't allow that. But all of those things transpired. And I'm like, you know what? I tip my cap to them. They, they got the job done. So, with that being said... I feel like the Bills, they still, I'm still high on them. I still feel like they can still go on a run because of their schedule and that AFC East, which we've seen very much as bad. Other than New England. Other yeah. than New England is very bad. So with that, man, I got to have him at seven. Now, and my I, number eight. I do think, too, it's important to point out that was like the classic case of wounded animal back into the corner with the Eagles on Sunday, too. Oh, without a doubt. Uh, they had been called out in the media by a former teammate, mm-hmm. questions about their locker room chemistry, leadership, questions about leadership that. and the head coach. And it was a it was a game for the Eagles to respond and put together a solid performance. Absolutely. And they did that, man. And the Bills were the victims of it. But my number eight team, got to go to Indy, the Colts. You had them at six. I have them at eight just because – they're finding ways to win, and that's the thing I love. They're playing awesome defense. Darius Leonard is back. He's impacting games in a big way. I just still need to see more from that offense before I could put them up higher in terms of the Colts. I mean, they're winning, yes, but I like I need to see it more consistent. I need to see something just, just to make me fully believe in Brissett. I'm not all the way sold to him, similar to how I was with Lamar Jackson early on. It was like I'm seeing some stuff, but I, I need to see more of it. That's why I feel like with this Colts team with Brissett. So, Hopefully, you know, they don't show us this weekend. You yeah, can show let's us. take a step back yeah, this yeah. week, Take, take a How step back that? and show us next week, all right? And then we go from there. My number nine team, the L.A. Rams. Okay. I think with, with Jalen Ramsey coming over mm-hmm. there, those Game guys changer. have definitely changed. They're playing a lot more inspired ball. They're able to do more defensively. Ty Gurley is – I don't think he's ever going to get back to regular. I think the knee is bigger than what they ever tried to say it was. But anybody that watches him and have followed him – you can see a difference in how he runs and his yes. explosiveness, his break tackle ability and all that. That's not there anymore. So that's why I have them at nine. And then my 10th team Drum is the Houston Texans. Okay. I'm a Deshaun Watson believer. I hate the fact that J.J. Watt had to tear his pack because he had been playing at a crazy level. And I thought it was cool just following the stat line of him, him and, and his, his brother, brother and yeah. how identical T.J. and J.J.'s numbers were, even in terms of quarterback hits and pressures. Like, that's freaky how that was going on. But even with J.J. being down, I still think they have more than enough talent to get it done. DeAndre Hopkins, I'm waiting on him to have one of those freaky breakout games because you know that's what he does around this time of year. So with that, Texans make my 10th spot. And my honorable mention were the Chiefs, Cowboys, and the Carolina Panthers, baby. Yes, sir. I know they got smacked. I know they got smacked, but they they got smacked. They wanted all the smoke, and they They, got it. They got smacked versus the number two team on on my book. So I'm like, I can live with that. It's kind of when you lose in New England. You don't get – I don't dock you for losing to the Patriots. It's, yeah. You think they're still uh, clamoring to trade away Cam Newton down in Carolina? Not a chance. But that defense is what makes me so much higher on them. I think the Panthers' offensive line still has a ton of question marks. I do think, though, from a defensive standpoint, Brian Burns is playing at a high level down there, pass rusher rookie. Obviously, you have Luke Keekley, And then you got my boy Trey Boston, man, on the back end. Spent some time with him and uh, – AZ, obviously, and we did some media stuff together. But I'm a little biased, man. I think that that defense is good enough. 
And you know, when you look at that division outside of the Saints, there's <laughs> a chance. It's they got a chance. It's wide open. Yeah. It's similar to the Bills situation. That's how I look at it. So we had the same exact teams in our top ten, except for you had the Bills and I had the Vikings. Other Correct. than that, though, nine out of ten teams. Yeah, that we, might we, be a record. We're we're very similar in teams this week, but just the orders were flip flop. Yeah, but they were still. But they were still. Cl- I don't know about drastically. Well, like like you had the Colts at eight. I had them at six. Our, you had you had the Saints. No, no, no. You had the Niners at four. I had them at two. That's not that. That's two that's, spots that's, off. No, that, that's like saying the pa- pass at one and Packers at three. That's not a big difference. Yeah. Yeah, that's a big difference. That's a big difference, man. Like, like I think our Ravens difference was a big difference. You had the Ravens at five, right? And I yeah, had them at, at nine. nine. Mm-hmm. Like, that's a gap there. So you, you think it's fair, too, because you obviously said the same thing, to, to leave the Chiefs out of the top ten at this point as long as Mahomes is sidelined. Yeah, they're only as good as Mahomes, period. Yeah. I don't believe in Matt Moore. Yeah. You? Who? What? This What? You saw what happened when he played in the playoffs? AFC Walker game, what? And your thoughts on where you'd have the Cowboys on this list? Well, they're my honorable mention. Okay. Yeah, but they're my— Did you have them ahead of the Panthers, right? No, so, yeah, so I have Chiefs Chiefs first, Cowboys, and then Panthers. Okay. Because as much as I'm not a Dak believer, I believe in Dak a lot more than uh, Kyle Allen. I just, I do. And you clearly believe in Dak a lot more than Kirk Cousins. Without a doubt. (laughs) Where, you, where do you have the Vikings on your list? Like twenty third. Hey, <laughs> we talk about how we're seeing Aaron Rodgers consistently put it together. I need about two months worth of that from Kirk Cousins <laughs> for me, two to, seasons for me to believe that man because he's fool's gold, man. You, you know what's funny is the Vikings could roll into the postseason right with like a a twelve and four record. And probably as soon as the postseason rolled around, I'd move him down my list. Yes, because I know what I'm going to get. I know what's going to happen with him. I've seen it too many times, man. But like I said, I'm hyperbolic at the moment, so I'll leave him on there. But those are our uh, our best of the West, our NFL top ten for this week as we head into week nine of the NFL season. If you want to chime in, now is your last opportunity to do so on Twitter. At Wesley Euler at the Body Fifty Two. The Body. We'll take your reaction when we return inside the Electric Factory. It's Euler Remotes. It's Steelers Blitz, and as always, it's on SNR. This is the Steelers Blitz with Wesley Euler and Arthur Motes on your 24-7 home of the black and gold, SNR. Wrapping up the show on a Wednesday afternoon. It's been an interesting one today, Motesy. Oh, without a doubt. David chimes in here. Props to Wes for pulling a Mason Rudolph today. (laughs) Started out rough and in a hole, but battled through and finished strong. Well played, sir. Hashtag Mike Gate. Hashtag Euler. Hashtag Euler strong. Oh, no. I never wanted to be my own hashtag. Hey, man. I like your style. You were very resilient. You looked at the – you smiled in the face of adversity. You overcame a crazy situation. You ultimately – led us to victory today the standard is the standard around here so so i've been told trash metal guy thrash metal guy part i don't want to call it come on thrash metal guy asks uh the wide receivers impressed me monday but rosie nicks impressed me even more taking out two guys with one block in the shadow of their own goal line that's something that we didn't talk about at all today and i agree with you you mentioned how uh the third and 20 45 yard touchdown pass to deontay johnson change the game and I agree with you but I think the biggest drive of the game was that second drive of the second half where 
Minka Fitzpatrick makes that interception, and right, the Steelers are backed up at their own three-yard line, and they're down four at this point, right? And I think we were all kind of thinking like, okay, get a couple first downs here, right? Kind of flip the field position, get a couple first downs, then put the defense back out there, let them capitalize again, and then we'll be cooking with fire. They convert a third and 11, a third and 12 to Deontay Johnson on that drive. Uh, like Thrash Metal guy said, some great blocks from Rosie, and they go 12 plays, 97 yards to take the lead and never mm-hmm. look back. And on a drive, too, that took over seven minutes off the clock and it's, really let their defense rest on the sideline. Took side a line. huge, huge chunk of time off the clock, which was key at that point. And ultimately, was that's when I really felt like you could see this Dolphins team just throwing it in the towel, like, look, man, we can't stop them. That was that was the part I'm talking about when it's so demoralizing. So it's just your, your heart. It's just nothing you could do about it. It's kind of like when you got your little brother and you just put your hand on their head and they're <laughs> swinging their arms, but they can't reach you. It's like, hey, it's nothing you could do about it. This is what we do. That's what we saw right there during that drive. Mark asks, what's the biggest area the defense needs to improve on and how do they accomplish it? Um, I think the biggest thing that I would say – I would have to go with the, just the consistency element. We still see some missed tackles, especially on the uh, the second touchdown. The second I think touchdown, you saw that. Like yeah. you see the missed tackles and stuff like that. Just little things. We saw that same situation arise in the Chargers game in the second half, late in the game, where you're seeing just little missed tackles here and there, small gains turning into you know bigger gains and things like that. I think that's the only area off the top of my head that I want to see this team continue to take strides and improve in because they're creating the turnovers. They haven't let pretty much any ball go and just lay it harmlessly to the ground after being tipped or anything like that. We saw that with Minka. That was on display. We saw even on the overthrow from uh, Ryan Fitzpatrick, Minka go and get that as well. But we still, like you said, from a tackling standpoint, just cleaning that up. And that's something that this team is going to have to work on all season for the simple fact the way practices are set up. You're not allowed to hit every day. You're right. not allowed to wear pads no, every you, day. 16 times throughout the season. That's so, not even once. That's less than once a week. Right. So when you're talking about a, a skill that is directly correlated with the success of a defense tackling. Yeah, I'd say that's pretty even, important. You can't even work on it. You have to, hey, you know, they say in practice come to balance. So it's like you run at, you, or run at a guy full speed and then you – Break down as if you're about to tackle them, but you can't touch them. And it you do that so you try to avoid creating so many bad habits, but you never get a chance to ultimately work on the mechanics Wrap of getting your up. head across, wrapping him up, driving your feet, all things that you need to do. because just Gang tackling. Because the one element of just getting the correct angle, that's one part of it. Then getting your head on the right side of the body where the ball is the is another body. is another segment, right? Wrapping up is another thing. But then driving your feet. All of these things work in unison with making a tackle. And if you don't do one of those things, that's the difference between a made tackle or a missed tackle. The difference between you knocking a guy backwards and a guy falling forward. But you can't work on those details. That's the, the that's just how the NFL is. And from a health and safety standpoint, you love it. But from a player development and a player just sharpening his tool standpoint, you hate it because it handicaps you. Particularly in season, right? And Absolutely. I, I think that's why, too, you know this. I'm not telling you anything you don't know. Coach Tomlin likes to have physical practices out at training camp because once the year starts, you can't really do that. <laughs> very yeah, much. very true. But even with 
a physical training camp, he still has to be careful because you don't want to risk too much right. injury. And he admitted that, I think it was his first year in Pittsburgh, where he said, I was too tough in training camp. We picked up too many injuries Correct. that we weren't able to recover from. So it is. It's, it's a tough balance for a head coach to walk that, uh, that tightrope. Last question here on the Twitter.com. This one comes from Terrible Two Cents. I like, Ooh, okay. All I like, right. That's I like a good, the name. That's a good, like, uh, show, like, sports talk show caller, you know, like and, uh, Terrible Two Cents. Here's my Terrible Two Cents. What do you think? I like that. That's good. Uh, asking if this is a pseudo AFC playoff game for the Steelers this weekend and uh, if it's a game they must have in terms of the AFC playoff picture and with the wild card and some of those tiebreakers that could manifest. Yeah, without a doubt. Anytime it's AFC ball, you have to win them because at the end of the season, when it's playoff time, implications, tiebreakers, this is a game that we're going to look back on. Both of these teams are in similar situations in terms of, yeah, they're still alive in their division, but more than likely they're probably going to end up being wild card teams if they make it. And this is one of those games where it's going to say, oh, man, did you win this? And you're saying, I'm glad I got this. Or are you looking back saying, I wish we would have. This is the game like that. And then also that Bills game coming up is mm-hmm. another one like that. Tiebreakers. Those are the games that you're going to have to find ways to win. And and with that being said, I do think it's a must win. Last one real quick here. We got about 30 seconds. And our good friend Rebecca Litwinovich getting lit, in at the last lit, second. Lit. Wants to know who you give a game ball to between Minka, James Conner, Juju, and Rosie Nix for Monday night. Oh, man. Minka, James Conner, Juju, Rosie Nix. I have to go Minka. I think the two interceptions that he had were very impactful and ultimately led to this defense stepping up and ultimately getting the ball back to this offense. Because at the time, they were down 14 Right. And if they don't get the interception, they go down 21-zip to Miami. Who knows what happens then? Because from a confidence standpoint, the Dolphins were so motivated at that time. So I definitely got to give it to Minka, man. Good stuff today. Big thanks to our guy Jacob for producing the program. On the ones and twos. And, of course, a, a big thank you to all the Power Grid who chimed in today as well as letting me know about my microphone. We appreciate it. We'll be back with you tomorrow, same time, same place. As always, inside the Electric Factory on your 24-7 home of the black and gold, Steelers Nation Radio.